0: On this episode of Year One, we speak to Manal, CEO and co-founder of Transitional Forms, an interactive entertainment studio lab in Toronto, pioneering the future of intelligent content for the metaverse. Between party training her two-year-old and actively managing her shit list, no pun intended, she's grown an amazing business that is worth watching. Sit back, buckle up, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Year One, hosted by me, Dioclopis, and my good friend, Satish Bala. On Year One, we speak to early-stage founders, business owners, and entrepreneurs about the highs and lows of the early years, the challenges and rewards, and everything else in between. So, without any further ado, let's get into this week's conversation. The very first question that we ask everyone who comes on this podcast is, What was the inspiration? What was the moment? What happened in your life that you decided, I'm going to break free from the shackles of working for a boss and I'm going to go out and I'm going to do my own thing?
1: Wow. I wish I could say it was a big bang, but I saw it coming in multiple roles. And I think over the course of my career, I've greatly enjoyed building. But the second it starts becoming routine maintenance, like any company that I've been part of, because I've always built. Um, that's when I start leaving. So my, my career history is a little, you'll see that two or three years, that's how long it took me to then leave. So it's just been, it's been a pattern. And I think this year, the past year, we had COVID and the pandemic was there. It really made me think a lot. There was a lot of heaviness in like George Floyd had happened. The graves had been uncovered. The world was really heavy. I lost a lot of people to COVID globally. It wasn't here locally. Uh, And it really just made me sit back and think, if I'm going to do something with my life, it needs to have meaning beyond just these cycles that I've become used to. So I think it was a gradual process. It was a long time coming. And I think the pandemic just gave me the courage to, well, if there's no better time now, is it? So I think that's that was just it, it was just courage.
2: I, I love that man. I think so much, so many of the entrepreneurs that are new to the game that I've been meeting on the positive side, COVID has been a reminder of how time is really interesting, and we sort of look at our ambitions against the things that are holding us back, and we always think there's another time, another period. I'll start later. I'll do it next year. And COVID kind of said, "Hey, man." Time is what you make of it now.
1: Yep. I couldn't agree more.
2: I love the thing that
0: you also said when you said that things become routine and maintenance almost. I find I'm that type of person. If I'm in a role, as soon as it becomes maintenance and a little bit mundane, I get antsy. I need to move. I need to change. I need to shift things up. And if I don't do that, I actually find that I could become a little bit destructive in my behavior because I'm bored out of my mind. Yes. And I wonder if that is a characteristic of a lot of entrepreneurs or business people where they actually just don't like the boring, mundane side of things. They enjoy the creation and moving things forward. So
1: I still have a hard time calling myself an entrepreneur because there's so many images associated with what that looks like. Uh, I think you make a good point around the destructive behavior. I think we crave drama. I'm the I'm kind of person who's, oh, there's nothing here. Let's make it spicy. <laughs> I don't know. So it is destructive. And I, there's nothing, look, there's nothing wrong with the routine, right? There's stability and there are trade-offs in people's lives. I think for me, the routine or hating the routine comes from being an immigrant and being a third-generation immigrant. My parents, my grandparents fled the war during partition. Under the British Empire for India and Pakistan, my parents fled, and they fled to Bangladesh. My parents fled civil war in Bangladesh. It's constantly been building, like rebuilding and rebuilding. And I think having watched my parents, like by the time I was born, I was born after my father had already struggled and arrived in terms of wealth again. But I've seen. The effects of all of that carried down the gen through generations and uh, it it impacts in different ways. There's always a heaviness in our family around discussions around that. But I've also seen the risk taking in the family because they had no choice. I had a choice to take this risk. (laughs) They had no choice. And so it's not just something that I've been running away from, but it's something that I'm far more comfortable with. And I think that's what makes a true entrepreneur is it's not to get it perfect. It's just to know that you can take the risk, and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But there's no perfect ending. So you know how like the media like keeps reinforcing this like perfect rags to riches story, and I I internalize that every single time, and that's why I can't see myself as an entrepreneur because I'm, like I constantly feel like I'm failing by some imagination, like by some yardstick. I'm a female CEO. So there's a label. So I need to be a certain way to show myself a certain way. I'm an entrepreneur, which means I need to be like this main, I don't know, whatever it is. And I'm constantly going through my own identity crisis. So so just sorry to answer your question directly. It's, it's, yes, there's like the getting away from the routine, but it's also understanding the role of the routine in your own in your own life and what, what it means. So yeah.
2: So I've started using the word habits more than routine. And I feel like habits when stacked create certain behavior. So in my business, habits, uh, routine is, is boring for me. So I said, okay, what are the habits I need to create as a CEO that empowers the company every single day? And how can I make sure that it's, it's a blend of like consistency and risk so that my brain between my OCD, ADHD, and every other label you can think of has a fine balance, but outside of schoolio, I need habits that are different. Where it's structured, so I have to get up at five a.m. I have to do the gym by seven. I need to sleep by ten. And as boring as it sounds, those habits allow me to be more risky in my business. And so I, I think words are very powerful, like you said, and knowing the right narrative in your head has helped me figure out how to find that balance. And before we go into the next question about your business, I'm curious because we're both immigrants and of South Asian descent. And I'm always curious about the role of education. And looking at your LinkedIn profile, you've got a life science background. And at some point it changes to business school. Then it's University of Toronto Faculty of Law. So I wanted to just get a sense of what kind of student were you? Are you the bookworm? Are you the, talk to us a little bit about your educational background.
1: Yeah, I was an amazing student in Pakistan. Amazing. If like in humble brag, I was incredibly studious. I loved studying. I was really good. And then I stopped trying to be perfect around grade ten, but stopped trying to be perfect. Then turned into being a really sh- shitty student. <laughs> so my first year at University of Toronto, I was on probation. My second year, I did really well just to climb out of probation. And third and fourth was just whatever it took to survive. Um, I love that. I, I, I spent a lot of time in experiences. I didn't spend time on the transcript. The richest returns that I got were in classes that were supposed to be easy A's, philosophy, ethics, or whatnot. But I also learned the most. And if I look at the skills I use the most from an educational background, it's the discipline in thinking that philosophy instilled in me. So yes, I have a life sciences background. Uh, I understand how it functions. But the reason you see such a varied and and different educational background is that I didn't want schools telling me what I needed to be educated around. I wanted to go out and learn. So education is a business. Academic education in like higher education, quote unquote, is an even bigger business. Listen, I've been in the academic administration realm enough and I'm not poo-pooing it, but In order to be a business, they need to be efficient about what credits need to be taught, what you can take, what you can't take. And so the flexibility in learning is quite limited. And so when I was doing my business degree, I was like, why aren't they teaching me about law? Mm. Because every decision that I've ever made in business is, no, you can't do that. I have to call the lawyer up. Can I do this? It makes great business sense, but actually technically, no. And so there's a huge interplay between all these disciplines that we've artificially separated out. And so you always feel like an outsider. And the reason I did all all these like different educations so that I could be informed when talking to people so that I don't come across, like I don't want to be begging for other people's knowledge. I want to be engaging with their knowledge. I want to be able to speak to them. When lawyers spoke to me, they spoke to me as a client. Now, when I speak to them, I speak to them as a fellow problem solver. I understand how statutes and common law affect, and I understand how to push boundaries. And you can't change systems unless you understand every restriction that is placed on those systems. And by nature, and as an entrepreneur, I want to break systems, but I, want to, I don't want to break them recklessly. I want to break them at points they don't make sense. And I need to understand why they don't make sense so that I can build back better. Um, And so that's why you'll see the education. It's nothing strategic. It's just, I felt like it. I I was fortunate enough to be able to afford it, both through time and money I had saved up. And I just love learning and I keep learning. I'm in the process of learning around the arts now, which is a completely different way of thinking.
0: I'm actually going to stop at this juncture because we could go down a whole rabbit hole around the education, street smarts versus book smarts and things like that, but Instead of doing that, what I'd like to do is bring us back a little bit. And I would like you to tell us about your business, the elevator pitch. What is Transitional Forms? How did it come about? What problem are you trying to solve? And what do you do?
1: Yeah. So Transitional Forms was founded by a gentleman by the name of Pietro Galliano, who is an amazing visionary in terms of just combining the creative, entertainment worlds, and artificial intelligence. He saw an opportunity. Well, he saw where AI was being developed, and he didn't like the fact that people who are there holding mirror up to society were actually not being included in conditioning this technology that's like effectively affecting every part of our lives. And so he set out on a journey. He's incredibly accomplished. He set out on a journey to see us, to see the business around creative ai and so i was working at the vector institute at the time he approached us to speak to different researchers uh, and honestly i was i was what i saw was while i was a vector is that ai was being communicated about and there's a big lack of trust around how it, like e- lack of understanding what ai is a lack of trust when it's deployed and the only th- Tools that were being used are like these like eight hour courses to teach like mathematical concepts or press releases about such and such or put this and this research out, but not contextualizing what that means for the everyday person or how the everyday person's experiencing it. And that to me was what attracted me to transitional forms was uh, how make it culturally relevant, make AI culturally relevant. Have it appeal to the imagination because there are voices that are not excluded and cannot be included because a lot of this is highly technical. But there are other ways, like AI relies on data and it relies on our data. And it doesn't rely, you don't have to be heavily specialized to feed the AI data. And so I need to be informed about how I'm bringing my data to AI, what it's training on. And I have a right to that access, that knowledge as a general, as a, uh, as general public, because it's your tax dollars that is going to fund a lot of this research as well. So what Transitional Torrors does is it merges the worlds of entertainment culture and artificial intelligence to help demystify AI. And we do this by, at present, we're doing it by coupling an entertainment vertical, such as music, film, television, games, with a, an AI methodology that allows the two to interplay and help people understand instinctively how AI manifests itself through the experience of the entertainment. That's not our end game here, but that is our beginning step. The idea is then to have all these experiences, right? If each of these are different modules, to have each of these experiences fold in and have AI generated experiences that evolve in real time with how audiences are interacting with that content. Welcome to the metaverse.
2: Very interesting. So my brain is a visual thinking brain, so I need to see stuff in my head. And I've been on your site, looking at some of the test examples. Let me give you another example to see if this is the kind of work that you guys tend to do. So uh, our startup, Schoolio, uh, our vision is to create an educational metaverse where core curriculum, math, language, science, and social studies, could be infused with interest-based learning. So everything from crypto to dating to bees and honeys and in science into a model that is very much choose your own adventure. Our thesis is the more the child chooses what they wanna learn, even if it's wide and not deep, they are gonna commit to the outcome. Just like I don't have to train my kid or teach my kid how to beat a level in a video game. They can try a hundred times before they beat them willingly every single day. So in a situation like that, is this the kind of AI engine where if we had core curriculum, inspirational curriculum, somehow the engine knows how to connect the two. So the child is offered stuff that they can choose. Is that the kind of entertainment meets content that you guys play in? And please say yes, because we need help.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. So it is with one additional step further. So... Depending on whether your choose your own adventure is all sought out, so it's branching narratives. Ours is emergent narratives. So effectively, it's a choose your adventure, choose your own adventure with a mind of its own, and so you get to react to the adventure. And and so, in the choose your own adventure, you have a finite set of developers with a finite set of solutions. With AI and emergent and generative AI and content and what, depending on what outputs you have. It's constantly evolving. So it's persistent and perpetual, Uh, depending on how long you run it for perpetuity. But it is persistent and it exists at all times. So you can enter that world at any point in time and have it pick up from wherever you left off. So yeah, right now we're still experimenting, but I can't see a world where AI doesn't drive it because that's what makes that kind of experience adapt
0: and reactive, right?
2: Yeah, no, I love it. Go ahead, Ian.
0: What I'd like to understand, so we want to talk about some of the year one challenges. You've entered into into an emerging space. There's a lot of focus. There's a lot of information about AI. Everyone is jumping onto the AI bandwagon and things like that. And there's a lot of investment also that's going into AI. So my question to you is... What have been some of the challenges that you have found actually entering and competing in this space where it is so prevalent and dominant at the moment?
1: Yeah. Hype cycles come and go. I think for me, I haven't seen this particular endeavor as like competition yet. Uh, And part of that is because the founders of the business, Pietro and I both come from it at different angles and we're, we come with a degree of comfort knowing what we know about our individual industries, and so we have these conversations and uh, internally and the complex conversations. And so it's not just like a slap this onto that and then put it out and that's it, right? Like it's so w- w- we're trying to create very elevated experiences and really try to understand the technology, not to say others aren't doing it, but we genuinely and especially as artists. We don't have there yet to like really compete and get the market share. We're really just trying to understand it and do it justice. And so how we compete right now is we haven't monetized really quickly. We're trying to get to a point where it's not just get to the lowest common denominator, get to the unit economics and then fucking pump it out. And Mm. that's been hard because there are constant pressures. Like I remember when we were pitching for there were a number of people who told us not to use the word metaverse. Because it was gimmicky and it was like a sci-fi and four months later, Meta launched and we had people coming back to us and being like, Hey, so close the preseason route. It was great. So, so we've been ahead of the hype cycle historically, <clears throat> Pietro has been ahead of the hype cycle. I took myself when I said, I'm leaving Vector to go join the metaverse. I don't think like that was before the metaverse became. Common born So I think we've been ahead of the hype cycle because we truly understand where the trends are heading. It doesn't matter where the labels are. There's a problem to be solved here. The hardest part has been trying to define what the problem is because the problem is so future facing that it's it's really hard to describe the problem without going off into this yeah. weird tangent world that's just not sticking with people right now. So I think that's been the biggest challenge we're building for the future. Needing to make it understandable to raise investments in the present and not getting trapped in those holes, like not believing our own stories. <laughs> then you just get trapped in it.
2: Yeah. I have a question around choosing to be part of Transform. So, one of the things that founders always try to figure out is I have an idea. Do I go all in on my own and build it from ground up? Do I find people that are on a journey and I can join and accelerate, like in your case, joining the group and then taking on the leadership role as CEO. What was some of the decision thinking around joining a team? And then when you guys first got together, what was the teams like? How has it changed since you joined? I would love to get some history around the transformation before you and after you.
1: Yeah, great question. It takes me down a lot of memory lanes. So it wasn't a decision that I made alone. There was a whole village. I reached out to, I don't know, I remember my career post, change post had like names on it. I linked a whole bunch of people, then, and you could see just kept going on and on like there were 15, 20 people who had a role in this decision. And so this is when I was deciding to leave the Veterans Union. You know, I had a great job, great pay, there were things on the go, but not one of them said, don't do it. Right? Like they're like, Manal, we know who. You, we know what you can do, and you've done it with a fair degree of repeatability. That there's a good chance, even if you fail, you will go down like kicking and screaming, (laughs) and you will figure it out. And so, there was a lot of support, community support that helped with that decision. On the inside, Tro was incredibly gracious with his time and really trying to make space and room for me at the organization. He, Couldn't pay me what I was getting paid, and he realized very quickly that it wasn't about tangible things for me. Like I had a plan in place for my exit, so what really mattered to me was to join a company where I believed in the vision, where I thought I had a chance and help to deliver on the vision, (laughs) and that I needed the permission to fail. I had given myself permission to fail, but with the stakes that Pietro had put into the business, I needed, I really needed his permission to be allowed to fail. And I remember directly asking him that. I don't know. I know what I don't know. And I need the permission to fail because I'm going to try a whole bunch of things. Some might hit, some might not. And my reputation is only going to carry me so far. I need to move this forward. I'm an outsider. I'm not an entertainment executive and I'm not a technical Person. I know the AI research world, my superpower is networking with humans on a very human level. So what I do bring is like a network of over 500 AI researchers, but I still need to figure out how to make space for those ideas, how to mobilize those ideas, manage the resources internally, build a business out. Uh, and so that's what, that's the conversation where Pietro and at the time and Dante Camarena, who heads up our technology development. We sat down and we talked about that. We talked about failure. It wasn't success of the business. The first conversation was around the failure of the business and to what degree we were okay with that failure. Uh, And then the second thing that I made clear is that I'm not coming as CEO to throw my weight around. I'm coming in as CEO just with a title, but mainly to help create operations that support the vision and the technical expertise that's already there. So this isn't about me. It's about the company and it's about what I can do to remove the additional structures that the company needs to function in to go about and create the future. So there will be things you may not like where I start tightening up operations and workflows and making it more efficient. And it will butt up against the creative process that needs to be more expansive. And we're going to have these conversations where it won't sit. How are we going to figure that out. And we will not be a single conversation. So that's a lot of head work. So that was the second thing we talked about. And then I loved the team. I looked at the team and I'm like, these guys are like this rag tag, like we're going to do it no matter what. And it's like, why not? Why not? So that's, yeah, those are the steps.
0: Tisha, I know that you've got a question, but may I just ask, one thing very quickly, because I'm fascinated about this whole conversation that we've had about failure. You sat down and you said, I want permission to fail. And I just want to just hone in a little bit on that. I think it is so healthy because a lot of people go into business and they go, they, they have to fear failure. They're driven to succeed because they don't want to fail. They don't want to think about failure as an option. Yet it seems you've got a really healthy relationship with failure that you see as an important part. It's almost as if you feel free. And I'm sorry, I'm speaking, you'll be off, but is it the case that if I go in there and acknowledge there's a risk of failure, I feel free to now actually go out and not be almost paralyzed by the fear of failure? Fear is always in the unknown,
1: right? If you know it, going back to a the routine, there's no fear unless something like <laughs> falls out from your bottom. And so, by any good therapist, will tell you, to address the skeletons in the closet. By packing away the failure in a closet and not looking at it, it it becomes an unknown. So if failure is like your bottom, there's nowhere to go but up from that. So as long as you know what that bottom looks like, you build on top. You build from failure. Otherwise, you live in constant fear of falling from the success.
0: I think that he's so healthy. Starting the conversation sir. Let's assume we fail. What is worst case scenario? Because then, you, like you said, you can build from there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, I'm sorry, Satish, I I know you had a question.
2: No, I, I think it's, I, I was just writing down some notes as you were talking. And I remember a long time ago, a mentor of mine said, by exposing your fears, oh. you refuse to feed it. And I was like, whoa. whoa. And I'm in my early 20s and one of the first times I've had a mentor and I was like, I don't know what this guy means, man. I need to go get drunk just to understand this deep message because I'm like... I'm trained by amazing parents to focus on fear first. You're gonna screw it up. What if you don't graduate? What if you don't get a job? What if you don't find the right girl? What if, so I'm constantly in that mindset and my first business was suffocating because I'm constantly worried about the safety net. And he's, well, what's the worst case? You've got a computer science degree. This is 2002. You're gonna get a job. Don't feed your fears. And now in my 40s, it makes more sense. Now, as I reconnect, so one of the things I wanted to explore is the idea of mentorship. And on both sides, are you mentoring folks? Do you have mentors? And do mentors play a role in who you are today?
1: Oh, yeah, of course. Think at different stages in your life, you need different kinds of mentors, right? And mentors come not just from the top or people who pass 30 years, Career histories. There's a time and place for that. I find I seek out mentorship from people I lead because they're the best people who can tell me about help me. They help mentor me to be a better leader. I my style of leadership is a bit to lead from behind and to lead through leaders. So, in order to lead through leaders, you need to both mentor people into becoming leaders, but also be mentored. To, to enable that leadership to come out. So I haven't had any, I've tried formal mentorship routes, but I always found with many things, different problems needed different types of mentorship. And it's just been through like a trial and error that I've managed to find advisors, to mentor sponsors, right? So all these different areas. But yeah, I, I do believe mentors have played a huge role and it's a whole Rolodex. I can't think of, aha, that one person was my mentor, aha.
2: No, that's a good feedback because I've been asked this question a couple of times. Can you name a few mentors? And I'm that guy who can't remember movie names, but I can tell you the plot. I can't remember the author, but I can tell you the book. (laughs) I can't tell you the mentor, but I know the impact. And I always feel so bad because I'm like, I know you want a name and a year, but I can tell you how this person made me feel. And
1: that's it. And you have to be like ready to receive that. The amount of mentorship advice I have like imparted over the years, I've had a whole bunch of people. So yeah, I was a formal mentor through U of I think, I think I just got awarded something for mentorship last year because I kept going back. But for me, it's more of a learning thing. Honestly, I just love the way people think. Uh, but uh, sorry, I totally digress there. I had to again pat myself on the back because I've got this thing. Like, if you don't have an award, it's not legit. <laughs> But I, since I've had a number of people that I've mentored in the past come back and be like, you didn't know what you were talking about in that conversation. But now that we've gone through a few cycles, your words are sticking more or like they're sticking out. And so you have to be ready to receive that mentorship as well. Like I was imparting all sorts of wisdom. But if you have no context, you don't know how you can effectively be mentored.
2: No, I, I love that. I love that.
0: And and tell me, man, I'll just stay in with mentorship and growth and things like that. Over the seven, eight months that you've been involved in transition forms, what has that taught you about yourself or what weakness have you had to overcome or something like that? What personal development have you seen in, over this period?
1: Weaknesses are absentee. I uh, think... The biggest weakness was being okay with that weakness of not always knowing, not always projecting confidence, not learning on the fly. I've had a pretty accomplished series of jobs. My career is like full of like little bits of accomplished accomplishments and jobs. The one thing when like all these supports are out and you're there and you have to make it or break it is, all right, there's me. And my weaknesses and my insecurities, but there's also positives there, right? There's a lot that there's confidence in certain areas and boundaries. Like I will not, and values that I'm not willing to compromise on. And it hasn't, being in transition funds hasn't, taught me read those. It has reminded me of like the importance of recognizing where Egypt, where something happens and where Egypt lies. So it's given me practice in, in in compartmentalizing a situation. Another thing that I have learned about myself is at some point in time, my brain goes into autopilot when shit's hitting the fan left, right, and center. I was always worried about like, how am I going to manage a business? How am I going to do solve problems? Whereas... Right now, all I do is like, sit in problem space. That's all I do. I'm either trying to define the problem space or like, trying to plug holes in there. And what it, that has taught me is that my brain starts prioritizing. And my mother was asking, like, how's work going? And I remember I used to bitch to her about, like, different parts of my job. And right now, I'm like, Mom, I don't even know what to tell you. Here's a list. Here, here's 35 things. And I just go from the top. And if a new sh- shitstorm comes up, it becomes number 36. And then I just go from the top, canceling it. And anytime I'm stuck on something, it doesn't matter because there are like, you know, 32 other problems. I, I don't dwell anymore because you just got to keep going down the list. And by the time that shitstorm comes to the top of the list, there are another 32 below that. You start contextualizing shitstorms in that manner. So you just got to keep moving forward. And as long as you're moving forward,
0: you're doing okay. And I agree and I think that's absolutely true It's like compartmentalizing things and actually saying I'll deal with it as it happens and don't get all worked up about it. But right at the beginning, you know, you mentioned that you are a CEO of a, of a startup. You are a mom, but not only a mom, you're a mom of young children. You just finished potty training and things like that. And you do dealing with your 36 shit items and a whole host of other things how do you find that balance how do you find the time to actually devote the attention both to your business and to your family are there hacks in place that that you actually do or daily habits or things like that you actually use to manage that
1: Oof, my biggest hack is my husband honestly he is like an angel and a godsend. Uh, (laughs) I don't think I could do any of this without that kind of support. And it's not just support, oh, I'm going to take care of the kids while we go take this meeting. It's the nights I have spent crying. Like, this is not for me. Or I'm going to fuck this up. My employees aren't going to get paid because that's what matters. At the end of the day, whether it's raising kids or a business, it's not about the business. It's the people who have come to work to build on this and that's what matters to me the most and my husband has been there through it, it just reminding me constantly so I'm very fortunate to have that I don't think there's a hack I think there's a you need to know yourself you need to Satish was talking about his his routines or his habits I don't have that I wish I was I was like listening to his habits i like I wish I had that I wish I had that discipline I really do. I genuinely do it. I tried it, but I just, I couldn't because every day is different. But I think you make judgment calls and it goes down to values. And my value is, I I enjoy my kids immensely. I enjoy them immensely. I enjoy, I also know that it's not going to, these stages won't last forever. And I love sitting in those moments where they'll see something. Like my two-year-old uses words like actually and probably. Who doesn't? If I find joy in those things. Any little thing I find joy in, I choose to focus my energy on that. So no matter how hard things are, or there's, there's always 10,000 things going on. And let me assure you, even when you think you have a control of it, you don't because there are like, Things happening in the background that haven't even reached you yet. And so it's understanding. And I don't always have these moments of clarity. Let me just, I am not a perfect being. I know. You're like, what? Yes. (laughs)
0: So
1: I don't always have these moments of clarity, but I think what you guys are doing with this podcast is it's almost like therapy, right? But it's, it gives me moments to reflect. I think that's the hack is find moments to reflect on what it means. And have those conversations. You can't do it internally in your head. It's reach out to people. Talk to them. Because everybody's going through different problems. Like I know a founder right now raising capital. And it's when they're like, oh, we haven't been able to close this investor. Or like this investor is dicking us around. Or do I like move in and hardball it? Or will I be seen as a softy? And so you grapple with all these questions that are nonsensical. But in your head, they all make sense at the time. And so it helps to get out and reflect on that. And I think having that, investing in a good network of people you can reach out to and then actually reaching out to them, like being deliberate about reaching out to them will help release some of those pressures around managing
2: everything. In the same time. I, I love that. And we just are finishing up our seed round. And so I know that drama, man. When do you push hard? It's like, it's like dating all over again. Do I call the next day? Do I (laughs) give it a week? And it's crazy how much life it it plays out in business. And one of the things I'm always curious about, and most of my habits form around when I look at what I want to be in three years, what I want to be in five years. And uh, I turned 47 this year. And prior to the new startup, I've never looked at health as part of the formula. I'm young. I can work as long as there's internet available. I don't care if I'm in a bed or beach, I can just work. And that was my mindset, right? Now I'm like, look, I'm starting a brand new business, which I think could be a global educational impactful company. It could be a legacy business that's 20, 30, 50 years down the road. Maybe my kids will work in it. Maybe it becomes part of what I'm building. So being healthy becomes really important all of a sudden, as much as raising money, finding the right people to work for you, and having a vision. Hence, as much as I hate working out, I do it because I want to enjoy this company in my 50s and 60s and not you know, be tied down. So when you look ahead, are there new habits that that you want to create this year, that you're focusing on this year? Some folks I speak to is, I'm going to try to read one book a week and that's my thing. I hate reading. I can't focus on a page with words on it. I hear it or even I need to watch it. I love reading books that are movies that I've seen already because I can visualize the scenes. But just curious if there's a habit, you know, or routine that you're working on. Not changing diapers is an easy one.
1: Well, I mean, that, that's not my doing, right? Like That's <laughs> instilling habits on on the kid. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. So this is the thing about New Year's resolutions. I fucking hate that. There's so add more to being successful. That giving myself yet another thing to fail at, is, to me, is just so demoralizing. Because I know, yes, I'm going to read more. When I'm doing my reading, I'm doing my reading at three in the morning when I can't sleep. My mind is worrying. I'm on my phone and I'm probably like top 10 things that make you a better CEO or something stupid. Like that. just even like enough of an escape, but enough that I'm like, okay, it's guilty pleasure reading, but maybe I'll take something away from it to sound smarter the next day. So, so I don't know. I, again, I wish I sounded more woke, I guess. I don't know. I think One thing that I am trying to make a habit of is to try to be a better listener. I I love to talk. I've been like blabbing away. But it takes a discipline, even when you don't necessarily agree with a viewpoint. Like, what does it mean to listen without judgment in the moment? Because in my head, I'm like sitting like, you make no sense whatsoever. And I just have to keep reminding myself, like take a moment. And in practicing that, I feel like there's a lot of different considerations coming out as I make decisions that weren't there before. It does slow me down a bit. So I'm trying to be, I'm trying to figure out how to maximize efficiency, what that. do. But I think listening, if I could, to answer the question more directly, I think listening is a habit I'm trying to build.
0: I've absolutely love this conversation. And we're going to close it out at, at this point in time So we are conscious of your time. and. But what I'd like to do is when you go to or you've seen movies or you might have experienced it where you go and see a therapist or a psychologist and they show up these images and they say, What's the first thing that you see? I'd like to do a similar type of thing and I'm gonna put out there three words and I'd like to get your first thoughts in the context. Of, yeah, in the context of your business, your life, these three words, what images do they conjure up or what thoughts go through your mind? And they're not gonna be trick questions, okay? So the first one is family and friends. Oh, love, joy. Cool. Team.
1: Love, joy, insp- inspirational. Honestly, I love my team. I love them to bits. I love- Wait, I don't know what the difference between team and family and friends is. They're all the same. Depending, friends, fools, and teams.
0: Awesome. Love that. And then yeah. the last one, I know you said you don't like the label, you don't associate with it, and but entrepreneurship. Hard work hard, hard work. Love it. And on that note, I'm going to thank you once again for your time. It's been awesome chatting to you. I wish you everything of the best on this journey that you're going. And we would love to have you back in a year's time or something like that to see how you've taken transitional forms to that next level.
2: Year 1 is hosted by Dion Kloppers and Sathish Bala and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It is engineered by BloomX. For more Year 1 content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bloomx.io to join us on Discord.